Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. How are you? Well, as we are uh, continuing to let our little ones release to their respective classes to hear more about Jesus Christ in their own language and tongue and uh, for their generation, I hope you are also uh, ready to hear it in yours. We are continuing our series uh, from the book of Luke where we are looking at these four very interesting and spontaneous songs that people broke out into at the revelation of the coming of the baby Jesus. Uh, we have covered two of them already. This morning is the third installment on that. And uh, we are going to be looking specifically at Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 15. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 15. If we didn't do so already, if you are visiting with us this morning for the first time, would you please just show us your hands? You won't have to say anything or deliver any speeches. I see those hands. It is good to see you. I see more hands, hands everywhere. That's awesome. It's always interesting to observe kind of the social movements within a church, you know, uh, churches that skew toward um, the more um, uh, experienced generations, uh, they typically tend to stay put during the holiday season. Uh, those uh, churches that skew toward the more uh, gaining experienced generations, um, uh, they typically clear out and go visit their folks, right? And uh, we happen to have the beautiful and interesting privilege of being a church that is multi-generational so we never know what we're going to get on any given Sunday where people are prone to travel to visit their family. But we are thankful to have all of you here and look forward to being able to meet you at the end of service if that uh, opportunity presents itself. We will have a small uh, time of refreshments immediately following, so hopefully we'll get a chance to greet you then. Uh, additionally, if when you came in, you... you uh, when you were greeted, hopefully you received a small gift that we have for you. If you're visiting for the first time and you did not receive that, please make sure you get it before you leave uh, for those of you uh, who didn't get a chance to pass by the Connect table. All right? Well, good. Good stuff. Let us ask for the Lord's help as we open his word this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we need your help. That is the biggest four-letter word that I've ever said. It is dripping with implications, and day by day I feel varying degrees of helplessness until you kick in. Lord God, as we stand uh, this morning before your people, this is one of those massive moments because we always need you the same amount in every day and every occasion. We just don't realize it as much. But Lord God, the preaching moment is one where we have the audacity to stand behind this podium and suggest that we are speaking on your behalf. And so, Lord God, we need your help. Would you completely move me out of the way or move in me in whatever way you so choose? Lord God, do it according to your agenda. Would you, Lord God, make your words and your ways memorable and make everything about me, Lord God, forgettable? Lord God, would you lift principles off the page during this time where we may feel like we've got a, a pretty good handle on some of the Christmas texts, which puts us in a position where we feel less convicted and uh, perhaps we glaze over certain ideas. Lord God, would you grip us this morning? Would you grab hold of our hearts with just as much tension as you would at any other time? Would you reveal to us doctrine? What does the scripture say about you? Reproof, what are you saying about our sin? Correction. What are you saying about our need for deeper sanctification? Instruction in righteousness, Lord God. How would this word today uh, inform our respective situations that we find ourselves in today? And Lord God, how will it thoroughly furnish us for your service in your local body? 
How do we need to be duly equipped to go out and share this with other people or to make disciples with this information? Lord God, would you enliven all of that in our lives this morning? Would you help our hearts not to be distracted by anything else that we have going on or any other agendas we may have brought with us? This we ask in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ, let there be a demonstration of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me in them to the book of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to focus first and primarily on verses 1 through 15. This particular song is brought to us by this moment where the angels announce to the shepherds out in the field what God is doing through Jesus. And then they break out into this song where they're giving God glory, and you actually sang it just a few minutes ago with the words on the screen. Let's take a closer look. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from uh, the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, uh, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his fiance, who is now with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The shepherds and the angels and, uh, were in the same region, uh, and they were shepherds were out in the field. Uh, keeping watch over the flock by night, and the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and filled them with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ, is born. And, he will, and this will be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some of your Bibles will say peace and goodwill toward men. And when the angels went away from them uh, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. What is God doing? What is God doing? The story starts out with, with, with them telling us that someone has called for a decree. So the, the known world under this particular empire has all been called to go and register for a census. That's where we start. What a radically inconvenient time for Joseph and Mary to have to travel. She is obviously nine months pregnant. Unless she's delivering early or whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be, it's an inconvenient, a grossly inconvenient time for them to be on foot. I want you to think just for a moment, if you could slip into the sandals of Joseph and Mary, you just recently found out that you were having a child under some of the most bizarre, rare, and unique circumstances of all time, and you've just emotionally kind of gotten over the fact that you were prepared to put your wife away, and now the government 
calls a decree, and when she couldn't be any more pregnant or with child, you have to now make a 90-mile trek from Galilee to Bethlehem. If they were using a beast, I don't know exactly how they would go, but, but I know based on what the treadmill shows me that the average human being and the average stride can move at three miles per hour. And so it would have taken them three days if they were on foot. Maybe cut that in half if they had a mule. But who cares? Who wants to have to do that when you're with child? And you just finished with the emotional challenge or you're still in the throes of an emotional challenge of having to explain why your fiancé is pregnant and whose baby it is. And then the camera lens of scripture zooms in on a group of shepherds who just happen to be out in the field doing their job, and an angel shows up and says, oh, by the way, I got something I want to talk to you about. And they're scared to death. And then after the news, they decide that they want to run over to go visit Mary and Joseph. They want to find the sign and see what's going on. It's easy for us in a very concise way to look at this moment because we kind of know the end of the story. It's like re-watching a DVD of our favorite movie. We just can't wait to get to the good part. But I want you to imagine that you're living in this. You would be asking yourself, Lord, what in the world are you doing? And so the title of today's message is Agenda Reveal. That's not my southern accent kicking in. It's not me saying gender reveal, but in a bad way. No, it's Agenda Reveal. But even within the spirit of a, a gender reveal, if you've ever seen these things online, I haven't get a chance to do one. But, but in the gender reveals, have you ever noticed that, that, that all these people who gather to see what's going on, and then finally they either release the blue smoke or the pink smoke or whatever to happen, you can tell by the people's faces that for some people it's a deeply exciting time, and for others they're like, oh boy, I'm having another. When God shows up in people's lives, it has a similar effect when he reveals his agenda. For others, it produces great jubilation, and for others, it produces great consternation. What in the world is going on? I want you to take into consideration what God exactly says he is doing through this child who is born. In God's agenda revealed, I want you to walk away from today's message with this appreciation that God in his plan regardless of what play what role we play God in his plan has both anticipated our greatest need and also our most granular needs God in his plan when he reveals his agenda it has fully anticipated our greatest need and even our most granular needs of life why is it important for us to believe that? Because sometimes when I'm sitting in those pews hearing a pastor preach and I hear these great theological truths and terms, I say, okay, God, I know you're doing big things in the world, but what are you doing in my world? There's very few believers who, are, who don't believe that God has a plan. We're just kind of unclear on where we fit. And so as God begins to reveal his agenda, I want you to have the faith and confidence that God is build, revealing a plan that anticipates both our greatest need, even if we don't feel it, and even our most granular need. 
God is just as concerned about the salvation of your soul as he is the deeply disturbing text message you receive in the parking lot just before you came to sit down in these pews. He is just as concerned about what is happening across the globe as he is that unopened envelope on your nightstand that you're afraid to peel open because you recognize the name of the collector. God's agenda anticipates both our greatest need and our most granular need. God is equally as engaged in the great census called by Quirinius as he is the fact that Mary is about to bear a child and they don't have anywhere to lay him down. And it seems grossly inconvenient. God is equally interested in both of those realities. And I hope today you can learn that. Well, exactly what gives me this clue that God is interested? He says that there is a savior that is going to be born when he announces what he's rolling out in his agenda. The savior is going to be born and then he says, it's Christ the Lord. And then he says that, that this particular savior is going to offer something, and that is there's going to be peace and goodwill toward men. Peace? Peace? I'm hoping for a more upgraded package than that. But if you really look at what the Bible describes as peace, I believe that you will be wonderfully satisfied by the unique offering of God as he rolls out this agenda. I want to talk to you about peace today in three distinct ways that I believe that God provides it in his Savior, in his Son, Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you, number one, about peace that changes. Peace that changes. You should see these on the screens if you're note takers. I want to talk to you, number two, about peace that produces. Peace that produces. Number one, peace that changes. Number two, peace that produces. And then number three, peace that surpasses. Peace that surpasses. What exactly is God doing in his agenda that is able to anticipate my greatest need and my most granular need? Well, first and foremost, let's take a look at this peace that changes. Exactly what is being changed by this peace. In chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For unto you, unto you personally, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which says that if I need a Savior to be born to me, then I need saving, which means my precondition is that of a sinner. The first thing that the peace of God comes to do is to change my current standing before God. The peace of God in the person of Christ comes to change my standing before God. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Old Testament anticipates this moment. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So God is interested in personally showing up, coming to you and coming to me and unpacking peace in our lives. Peace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 and following give us a, a, a much more comprehensive view of this peace that is offered by the person of Christ. Look at it. Read it with me or say, see it with me. For he himself is our peace. Oh, so God isn't just giving peace. Jesus Christ is the personification of peace. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in one place in place of the two so making peace that he might reconcile both us to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility that came through or that came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we have both access to one spirit and to the father it's peace that changes my current standing because prior to this particular passage of truth being unlocked in my life according to the scriptures I am an outsider of God I am an enemy to God and I am an orphan before him I need the unpacking of Christ's work of peace to bring me close and take me from being an orphan to a child, from an enemy to an ally or an ambassador in the kingdom. And I also need to go from being an outsider to a covenantal insider, only possible by birth that takes place through the new birth when we trust in Christ, the personification of God's peace. I need a peace that changes my current standing before God. I need a God who, who looks at my life and all the things that are pressing against it. And I need to know for a fact that he, he has come to me. This peace that God is offering is not some broad theological concept. It is a deep personal provision that he makes. And he wants us to understand that Jesus Christ has come to you personally to offer this peace. Reflecting back on one of the most frantic times in my life, I remember being a college sophomore maybe a freshman, a uh, good friend of mine, both roommate, best friend, and classmate. Uh, happened to be in downtown Atlanta a couple of hours before a calculus final exam. We were within a decent distance from the school, no biggie, until my vehicle broke down. We had to pull over and it's no side of the road, it's just kind of some block there in downtown. I was like, all right, well, we got to get to school. You know what? We know somebody who works in the Georgia Pacific building. It's one of our friends who happened to be a, like a fully actualized adult. He was no longer a college student. And uh, so we ran down to uh, uh, GP and we went up the stairs to his office, no cell phones in this, in this era. Go up and ask him, he's like, hey, man, can we borrow your car? We got to get over to the school. You know, we're just going over to Morehouse or whatever. He's like, nah. Nah. No, 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 we, we try to go to college, man. We're not trying to like go out to like do, do, do like weird stuff in the middle of town. Wait, no, I, I just don't feel comfortable with that. We have a final exam today and not in art. We have a final exam in calculus. Can we borrow your car? Nah. So, okay. So then we run down the, we run back down the stairs or an elevator or whatever, or jump down the shaft. Who knows what we did? Just spill out into the lobby. It was like, all right, well, we have to get to the train station downtown. And so then it was like, all right, well, so we, we, we jog, run, whatever you can do with a backpack on to the train station. We get on that one. We ride it down to West End. And if you've ever been in, get off at the West End station, that's still, that's not a jog, right? So we get off from West End and we run to the Morehouse College campus, sweaty backpacks. We bust in the classroom. Everybody is sitting down but us, dutifully taking their final exam. Here we are, sweaty, late, frantic, frazzled all over the place looking crazy, sit down in my seat and um, I'm, I'm digging in my bag looking for a pencil and the only thing that I can muster is this little scrumpily blue out eraser 
barely sharpened pencil for my final exam. And my hand is shaking as I'm getting ready to take my exam. And without saying a word, this is the most beautiful thing ever. I'm like, Lord, what's going on? My friend has let me down. My truck has let me down. I had to run from downtown, right? Just everything is down. I don't know what I'm going to do on this exam that my mind is all over the place. And without saying a word, my professor comes over and he just hands me a nice, crisp, newly sharpened, fresh, full eraser, number two pencil. And he doesn't say a word. He takes my little scrumpily pencil out of my hand and puts the new one in there. And I was like, Lord, you see me. You see me. I was like, it's showtime. Out of everything else that was going wrong, Lord, you brought me a number two pencil. And there was a peace that invaded my heart in that moment because I was like, Lord, amid all of the craziness crashing around in my life, you are bringing me some peace in this moment. And the peace is very simple. You see me. Out of all of the, the, the busyness of downtown and the brokenness of the train and the raggediness of my car and the, and the, and the letdowns of a, of a person that I previously branded as a friend, you see me and you've sent me a number two pencil. Why do I share that? Because sometimes it is the smallest gestures in our lives that God does to give us the most seismic impact to let us know, I see you. Do you understand that the people going to see Jesus see it's just a baby in some swaddling cloth, just some cut up strips of cloth, just a tiny thing in a manger. He's not healed anybody. He's not preached any messages. He's not done anything awesome yet. The shepherds are, are grown men at the time that the angels encountered them. They're deeply excited to go see a baby whose full ministry they may not even get a chance to witness because it'll be another 33 years before it's complete. But the small gesture that God is at work in their town, in their city, and what he's doing is for them, it brings them something. It's a gesture of God saying, there's going to be some peace. Here's what I want you to remember. There are times when it just seems like all Hades is breaking loose and God is not attentive to what's happening in my life. But listen, you need to recognize that the Lord knows my address and he knows how to address all of my needs. The Lord knows your address. I believe that in much the same way that the angels ministered to the hearts of the shepherds who were like, whoa, what is this? And then they got excited. I believe that when the shepherds showed up to see Mary, here it is, she's on foot having to give birth to her baby in these very unpreferred circumstances. And shepherds show up and share with her what they've heard from angels. That lets Mary know, God sees your address. That this is not some temporary inconvenience that he didn't calculate in his plan. How many people feel that? You get a word from God or you feel like you've heard from God and then something happens that feels like, God, was that really you? Did I mishear from you? How could you have me on foot walking 90 miles? Isn't this your baby? Can you imagine Joseph being like, can you hurry up? Hey, man, I'm pregnant. Well, I, heard, I think the baby's supposed to be special. Ask him to help you hurry up. 
We got to get here for the census. Don't rush me. So he produces a piece that changes my status. I'm not some outsider, enemy, orphan. I'm an insider in unity with God, no longer walking in hostility if I place my trust in Christ. And that what seems to be small historic gesture of Jesus dying for me on the cross, if I do, and when I do. But there's a second provision of peace that I believe that God offers. It's not just peace that changes my current standing, it is peace that produces new understanding. Also in chapter two, verse 11, the way Jesus is described is unto you today is born not just a savior, but he is Christ the Lord, a Messiah, someone who is coming to rule and to reign. In keeping with Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of the peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and, and over his kingdom and to establish it, uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord is going to do this. This is a ruler and he is a person whose peace will not end. It reminds me of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, when he tells us uh, that, that greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. I need that reminder. I need that change of understanding in my circumstances when it does seem as if what the world is throwing at me is greater than me. It is greater than you, but it's not greater than he that is in you, who is ruling with peace. The peace that gives new understanding does this. It gives me a new way of navigating life because I recognize that I don't have to do everything in my own strength. It gives me new choices when I'm facing with challenges because I don't have to respond the old way or the usual way or even the crowd way. It gives me a new view on the role of challenges in my life where I can officially say, this thing is not because God wants to destroy my joy, he wants to display his grace. Think about that in your challenges. God is not trying to destroy your joy. He is not trying to ruin your day. He is trying to show you what it looks like for him to rule with peace. I know what peace looks like in the secular understanding. It's a rocking chair on a wraparound porch with fresh lemonade watching a sunset over a lake that is fully paid for with no mortgage. That's what we think is peace. But the Bible shows us something else. It's a great display of God's power where God's people are not unhinged just because things around them don't seem to be going quite the way they plan. The story is told, it's not my story, as you'll notice I'm not one of the people in it, about a bus that is traveling several hours, a coach bus. Uh, in one of the seats is a little boy who becomes deeply upset because the person in front of him leans back and is infringing on his space. And he's kicking and punching the back of the seat, kicking and punching the back of the seat to try to let the person know in front of them, you can't lean back that far. 
and he does it on occasion throughout the trip. And finally, after a multi-hour trip, the bus pulls over at its selected destination. The two people, all the people get off the bus, and it is revealed that the person who gets off the bus that was in the front seat that was being kicked turns around to the little boy, and it's a grown man who shakes his hand and hands him a little card that says, Joe Lewis, heavyweight champion of the world. That was peace too. That was peace. Because greater is he that was in the front seat than he that was in the back. <laughs> he could have launched that small child into orbit, but because, but because he understood, because he understood something about his strength, that wasn't the right response. He was operating with new choices, a new mindset. This wasn't the boxing ring, it was a charter bus. We need the peace of God to rule and reign in our lives in the same way where in respective moments, Lord, how do you want to demonstrate your power now? Is this knockout time or is this for me to just kind of take a nap and let this thing move over? The Lord wants to use my life to display what his rule looks like. The, the Lord wants to rule and reign. He wants there to be an administration of peaceful rule and reign. He wants the, the, the truth, the kind of the juice of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, if you were to squeeze it, when it says that, that he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and a prince of peace. What does that mean for the person looking at me who I work with, and they see my life virtually unshaken, and they see me steady? The Lord wants to use my life as a display to show what his rule looks like when it is working in my life. He is not expecting the unbeliever to read the Bible. He is expecting them to read you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. I need to let the peace of God rule in me. There is a third peace. You remember the first two? Peace that changes. My what? My standing. Peace that does what? Chain produces new understanding. And then there's a peace that we're all familiar with, this kind of common speak within the church that surpasses all understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Peace that surpasses all understanding. There are these moments in, in Luke uh, where when the shepherds show up and say to Mary, what they heard from the angels. It says that everybody else was like celebrating and worshiping and ah, ah, ah. Now this is exciting, they were marveling. It says Mary took these things in her heart and she pondered them. She was just kind of quietly tucking that away. She did the same thing when Jesus was 12, got separated from him during a big caravan. She found him, went off on him a little bit, and he said, I have to be about my father's business. She just kind of took that and pondered it in her heart because there was something going on. There was, there was something that didn't quite measure up to traditional rationale and understanding. I believe that God wants to do it in all of our lives. He wants to supply a peace that surpasses all understanding. Or as was duly explained to us by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. <laughs> I'm all the way, I just now figured out I need to slow down. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why do I need a peace that surpasses my understanding? Well, because there are moments in life where I can't figure out how or why this is happening. 
I've been worshiping, I've been serving, I've been reading, I've been praying, I've been repenting from any known sin in my life, I've been giving, and I've been doing it consistently, Lord. Why is this falling out in my world? The issues that I'm facing are beyond my reasoning. And so when I face an issue that is beyond my reasoning, I need a peace that surpasses my reasoning. I also need a peace that surpasses something else. There are times in my life when I can't figure out how I'm going to solve it. I recognize the problems. I just don't know what I'm going to do with them. And it only surpasses my reasoning. It surpasses my resources. It's like the disciples perfectly pictured in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is asleep on the boat. Wind, waves, water come up to whip the boat. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? We got buckets, but they're too small to get the water out fast enough. We recognize storms. Sometimes we see it and know what it is, but we don't have the resources to manage our own rescue. Therefore, we need power and peace that surpasses our resources, surpasses our reasoning. And then we need something else. The Apostle Paul, prior to having given us this passage where he says that we need to be anxious for nothing, he talks about how he is rejoicing despite many letdowns. We also need that. We need peace that comes over us, and I can't figure out how I'm surviving this, Lord. How am I rejoicing? This is surpassing my normal ability to be happy, to have joy. Where is this coming from? It's coming from you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we need a peace that surpasses all understanding because we have needs that surpass our understanding. We just have stuff on the dashboard of our life that we can't fully get our arms around, and if we could get our arms around it, it would throw us off. My needs exceeded. So why does all of this matter to the gospel? Or why does the gospel matter to all of this? Here's why. Do you remember what the angel said? I bring you good news of great tidings. Great news, great joy. There's good news and good tidings in there. The gospel is this, ladies and gentlemen, it is a both declaration of this unique offering of God's peace and simultaneously an invitation. It's not God dangling this peace out here before us and then like soon as you try to grab it, oh, you got to be faster. It is the declaration that I've got this trifold peace that you've never had before that will transform, that will change and produce new understanding and that will surpass your understanding. I've got this unique offering of peace and I'm declaring it to you. And guess what? It is available to you. It is both a declaration in the gospel and an invitation to experience it. It is a declaration that I have sent my son, Jesus Christ. I have seen the text messages, the arguments, the letdowns, the disappointments, the ambitions, the desires, the, 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 the plan Z coming down from plan A, the stuff that didn't go quite like you wanted it to go. I see all of that in granular and intricate detail. And I'm telling you that I got an offering for that. I've got some peace and I'm inviting you to it. It's already been paid for because Jesus Christ is not just distributing peace into our lives. He is a personification of peace. And I want that peace to live in you so that you don't have to try to learn it. It is part of your operating system when you become one of my children. And therefore, the offer of the gospel is simply this. 
more than you could possibly imagine, exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think, is packed in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. And God says, I have sent that to you, and I'm not asking you to understand him, know him, have him memorized. I just want you to surrender to him as king. I want you to confess that you need him because he is a savior and you are a sinner. Can we come into agreement on that? Will you confess your need for my son? And then he will bring out the full effects of all this peace that's just been described in the scriptures. This is the invite of the gospel. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you're visiting with a family member or you just kind of came in to see what churches are all about on Christmas. Beyond the decor, this is what we talk about. And as a matter of fact, we talk about this all the time. It just won't be a tree over there if you come in about three weeks. We're talking about the unique human situation where we need something that surpasses our capacity because all of our real needs surpass any resources that we could ever marshal or bring to the table. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to transition into celebrating the Lord's table. Can we do that together? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and I praise you this morning that you are the God who first and foremost gives peace that changes our standing. I pray for the person in this room, Lord God, who does not know you as a child. Your peace is merely a vocabulary word and a principle. Your peace for them is a political construct that just means two nations decided to have a ceasefire, but they still deep down on the inside hate one another's guts. Lord God, I'm asking that you would, in that person's heart, alert them to the unique peace offered by the gospel. You have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross on their behalf, not because the devil was after them, but because they were in your crosshairs. They were your enemy. Lord God, would you enliven the sinner's heart today to that reality? I pray for the person this morning, oh God, who knows you as your child. They are no longer an orphan, they're no longer an enemy, they're no longer a covenantal outsider. But Lord, they've been trying to do it all on their own. And they need just that small gesture to know that you are here, that you are with them and that you see them, that you see the disturbing text message. And yes, you are fully in touch with what's happening around the globe, but you also see them, oh God. And that person's heart just needs to be refreshed with a new installation of joy that comes from a peace that only you can provide. Lord God, would you provide that for them this morning? I also pray for that same person, oh God, who maybe is walking and living in a life of sin, and that is the reason that their peace is so disrupted, because they're operating on a completely different agenda than the one you've revealed for your people in your, in your scriptures. I also pray, oh God, for the person that's having the roughest season of their life, and everything that they're going through exceeds anything that they could ever figure out how to handle. Would you, Lord God, stand up in that person's life like Jesus on that ship, and speak to the wind, put it in its seat and in its perspective. Speak to the waves, speak to the storms, and speak to the water, and then speak to us. So that our hearts in unison might say, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Lord God, would you do that kind of work in every heart in this room today? This we pray in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If the, as the communion elements are coming around, please put your hands up if you have not already received one. And I want to just kind of add this. Uh, the Christmas season is one that is deeply steeped in tradition. And as the emblems are coming around, you might go, oh yeah, I would love to participate um, in the tradition of communion. I want to really be fully absorbed in the moment. Listen, the communion is not just some kind of like religious crackers and juice. What we are doing is saying, Lord, you have changed my status. I used to be an enemy. I used to be an outsider. 
I used to be an orphan. I was not your child. Yes, I was your creation, but I was not your child. When we take communion, we are saying, Lord, I celebrate what you did on the cross and what has been applied to me because I have surrendered myself to you. If that is not your testimony, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to beg you to press pause on participating in communion this morning until you get some further clarity on what it means to actually be his child so that your celebration of the Lord's table is not in vain. Does everybody have their emblems? Keep your hands up high, those who have not received. There is no fence or prohibition around whether or not you are a member of this church. I know that that sometimes lives in tradition, that you're thinking that you have to be a member of Gospel Hope specifically in order to participate in the Lord's table. That's not true. If you are a member of the body of Christ because you have yielded your life to Him as Lord and Savior, you are welcome to take communion with us this morning. Keep those hands up high. Looks like the movement is settling in, so everybody who desires to participate has your emblems. Would you take out the bread with me just now? We're going to give thanks for it. Father, in the bread, you have invited us to reflect on the body of your son, Jesus Christ. The human body is not negligible. You fully plan to resurrect it and give us a new body based on the promise of what you did in Christ's body, who took on our sin that was not his own, defeated the grave and was raised up to never die again. Lord God, as we reflect on that unique promise, as we take up this bread, Lord God, help, us, help our hearts to do it in a worthy way, in both spirit and in truth. Let's take of the bread together, celebrating the Lord's body. Let's pray for the cup. Father God, your cup symbolizes the new covenant that we have with you. Your word says that no covenant can be established without the shedding of blood. And therefore you shed the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that those of us who were covenantally outsiders can now be insiders. No longer, Lord God, through the, 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 the blood of goats and calves and bulls, Lord God, but through the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we, Lord God, celebrate it with this cup and we remember it. Lord God, would you wash over our lives and remind us of our deep need for forgiveness and our deep need to forgive others as we take the cup. Let's take the cup together. I would love to ask for just a second, if members of our prayer team, I know you've, you've kind of already maybe settled in, but if, if you would just stand, members of our prayer team, if there was anybody at any point during um, those prayers that I prayed that felt the need to just go a little bit further, you don't know what further means, but Lord, you said, I, I wasn't finishing my conversation with God, my business wasn't finished. Would you go and see some of these folks who are standing? They want to pray with you. Just, Lord, I've been talking to you. I've been hearing about you. 
I feel the need to have a more dedicated conversation about my relationship with you. Would you now go and see these members of the prayer team that are standing there waiting for you? Let's worship him.